Welcome to After Hours with Dr. Sigaloff, where he can share ideas and thoughts with you. He gets to the heart of the issue so that you can find the truth. The views and opinions expressed are his and do not represent the U.S. Army, DOD, nor the U.S. government. Dr. Sigaloff was either off-duty or on approved leave, and Dr. Sigaloff was not in uniform at the time of recording. Now, to Dr. Sigaloff. Thanks for joining me again. I have a wonderful guest here, but before I introduce Ivan, I want to give a special thanks to all my Patreon supporters. I want to thank you very much. This past week, I was able to give you a sneak peek of the episode because I was able to get it completed and edited and put up on Patreon for only the supporters prior to it being put out on Rumble. I want to give a special thanks to Sam and Angela Schelke. I want to give a thanks to Perry, Kevin Alanos, Katie, Victoria, Kate, Victoria, Joe, and PJ. Thank you so much for helping support me. Anybody who's been able to purchase one of these, I want to thank you very much for helping support me. I've got them available. I'm doing in batches about 48, mainly not to overwhelm my shipping department, which is just my wife. So we're we're using all of those funds to help the to try and help offset some of the costs where we've spent over sixty thousand dollars so far on legal fees just to try and keep my good name good, even though they I've done nothing wrong. All right, so that brings us to Ivan Raiklin. So Ivan was is now retired, Lieutenant Colonel, was in the Green Beret, and we met through some some various friends that that most people in the audience know, but we'll leave that name out at the moment. And you were a lawyer, constitutional lawyer, is is in in the military, and you still continue to practice constitutional law. Yeah, so uh, let me just do a little quick introduction. Thanks for that, Sam. Thanks for having me on your show after hours and off-duty in our personal capacities, as always, right? That's Exercising good. our First Amendment that is ours to use as we like for those listening in that are haters. So, with that said, I spent the last quarter of a century often on and off active duty, guard in all three capacities, all Army, right? As well as, as a civilian contractor in different capacities supporting the Department of Defense via the Defense Intelligence Agency and whatnot. And I would say that my last two, well, I served as a Green Beret Intel officer spanning tactical operational strategic. We can go in a little bit more detail since your audience is probably more military, right? So I'll give a little more detailed introduction on that. I served as a detachment commander in 20th Group, 20th Special Forces, if you guys want to take a look and see and, and check me out and see what haters I have out there. You know, I missed my military career. By all means, do so. 19th Special Forces Group, I had the honor, privilege of serving as a company commander, had a really good experience there, the Texas National Guard. But my deployed time was the essentially, I'd say, in four buckets. One was out there, you know, it went to Afghanistan, did the old counter-Taliban mission, if you will. Then we went to, let's see, I was a military attache as well. And that was as, what do you call it? In Tbilisi, Georgia, as a reserve attache. So for those that don't know what that is, kind of a military diplomat. Yes, I do speak Russian as well as Spanish, Arabic, and French. Picked those up along the way. And then I've served in Central and South America obviously Spanish, doing a mission in El Salvador, Honduras. So obviously, you know, supporting our U.S. Embassy and then our partners to, to counter the MS-13 threat. And then what else did we do? Jordan. Went to Jordan, countering and helping partners in Jordan to counter the ISIS threat, right? And then lastly, I'd say, you know, from a domestic perspective, coupled with what 
I did in the Republic of Georgia to counter the, the Russian threat was I served in the, on the Ukraine crisis team in the Pentagon and had the, this was in 2014. And a lot of the stuff coming out about our good friends, let's just say the, the beloved son, Hunter, and then his, if you've seen the report on his, his laptop as published by a nonprofit called Marco Polo USA. It's about 620 pages that references about 459 crimes committed by him, his siblings, his uncle, and his beloved father, which we're probably not going to get into in this episode. That's, that's something for the states to resolve and for the uh, Congress to resolve, which I'm actually helping out. When I get off active duty, I can have you come back on and maybe we can talk about some of that. Well, yeah, you, you don't need to talk about it, but I sure am heavily involved in making sure that there is remedy for the abject constitutional violations that have occurred. So let, let me back up. So close out my introduction. So that's my background is special ops, intel, what have you, and those different deployments shaped my perspective, opinion, and professional background coupled with when I was not on active duty and not in, in status, if you will, in military status, because I did some significant portion of my career in garden and reserves. When I wasn't on status, I ended up obtaining a, a law degree and then really focused my efforts on constitutional issues, particularly in the national security space. So constitutional, national security. And when, let's just say, when our constitution is being violated ad nauseum, I call it the, the unadulterated mutilation by certain actors within our constitutional actors that are violating that constitution. I, you know, whether it's in or out of uniform, I find it, it's an obligation to call those people out. I don't care, I don't care who they are, what positions they, they are in. Bottom line is people that can violate the constitution are those that are constitutional actors which means they are either members of the Article One branch of government, that's the legislature, Article Two branch of government, which is the executive branch, or the Article Three branch of government, right, or the judicial. And then you can argue also that the Article Four branch of government are the states. So that technically speaking, the states are not in as a robust position to violate the Constitution because the what most people fail to realize, the highest authority in our constitutional construct is not the Supreme Court. It is the state legislatures. Because for those that don't agree with me, let's go back into history. When America 1.0, the beta version, if you will, was established in 1776, it was just proclaimed as a landmass, right, of 13 colonies. And then we moved on to our 2.0, if you will, which was the Articles of Confederation, the 13 articles that laid out the rule book of how these 13 colonies are now 13 states that are going to interact with each other with a practically non-existent centralized form of government. So confederation, right? And then we moved on to America, I guess, it went from beta to 1.0 to 2.0, we'll call it. The United States Constitution, which was passed on September 17th of 1787. The reason why I go into this detail is that folks that are in the that are in our federal government that have taken the Title V, Section three 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 one oath to the Constitution, I get it. Most of you are going to be able to say, "Oh yeah, I know the oath. I can memorize it." And then you start to spew it out. Okay, great. 
We all can do that. But it doesn't, that is not even the start. If I ask you, Sam, and anybody, and I'm, this is exactly to put you on the spot, and it's not because I'm a lawyer. It helps, right? This is my focus. It, it is to put you on the spot, and this is for anybody listening at the highest levels all the way up to the top. If I sit down with you, General, if I sit down with you, Director of any agency, and I say, guess what? How are you going to be? How are you going to defend the Constitution if I sit down and say, "Hey, what what are you going to do when Article Two, Section One, Clause Two is violated?" Oh, if you don't know that, what about Article One, Section Four? If you don't, if you can't defend the base seven articles of the Constitution, then how about we transition to some of the amendments? What are you going to do when the Tenth Amendment is violated, Sam? What about the Twelfth Amendment? If you don't know what the Tenth Amendment is. Well, if you don't know what the 12th Amendment is, how about we proceed on to the 25th Amendment, Section 4? What do you think most people in our entire government are going to say when I sit them down one by one and ask them, what are you going to do when those provisions of the Constitution are violated? What do you think? No clue, which begs the question. If you have no clue what you're defending, how are you going to be able to defend it? That is exactly my point, and I'm putting everybody on the spot. So let's back up. How do we start to fix that? Because, you know, I like to identify, everybody can identify a problem, right? I think this is the foundational problem to everything to include what's happened to you. Everything stems from no, the system not knowing the rule book that we're supposed to play by. And the few of us that do know the rule book, that call out, call people out that don't know it and that violate it, but they are in a position of discretionary authority, arguably speaking. We are here to educate them. So, if you go to a website, I think it's called cpms.osd.mil, if I'm not mistaken, and that is a website that essentially showcases that every new person onboarding within our within the Department of Defense, is required to do citizenship and Constitution Day training. I don't remember anybody having to do that. Under NDAA, I believe it's 2005 or whatnot, everyone's supposed to do it. Guess what? They, ma they make mandatory the self-mutilation training. Recently, they just from promulgating, hey, everybody has to go through the mutilation advocacy training, right? Where it is great. It's so great for the force to mutilate yourself. Yeah, it's it's a horrible thing. I, I had I was supposed to click through it. Yeah, I, I had to click through it the other day, maybe a month. It's probably been more than the other day, but it was a couple months ago. They sent it to me and said, did you do the training? I clicked through it. I didn't do any training because I it's medically not safe. It goes against my religious beliefs. It goes against. My you religion. did do Well, no, I don't want to get you in trouble. It sounds like you did the, all of the training according to how they wanted you to do it, right? I got it. Yep, that's what I heard you just say. Yep, that's what I just heard you say. That's what I heard you say, Sam. Okay. So don't comment on this portion here, please, if, <laughs> with all due respect. Now, how is it good for the force to basically say, hey, guys, I want you to take, want to take away all of your time from your primary function of, being able to really each individually support and defend the Constitution from enemies foreign and domestic, 
I also want to divert your attention from that role, from fighting and winning the nation's wars, continue to divert from that and say, you know what? Because possibly the, and I'm, I'm arguing at the highest levels here, based on these reports that have come out that beyond, show beyond a reasonable doubt, there are certain individuals in our system that appear to be captured by a foreign entity, particularly, you know, including family members. And so it's almost as though these policies are diverting distract to weaken our national security apparatus. Now, I've been in it for a quarter of a century up until August the 30th. And so now I can speak freely and see the, tr the progression. It's literally as though not only are they promoting physical mutilation, they're promoting the mutilation of our constitutional norms. And that is unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable. One of the reasons why I said, you know what? I'll be in a better position, not in the system that is promulgating the demise of our national security. Step out, call it out, and then be a peer. If not, I would say at this point, I am now superior to our senior leaders as a private citizen. And they're going to do the will of the people and not the will of what violating the Constitution. So going back to the Constitution. I do want to say that this is the this year, I believe it's the first year I ever remember doing Constitution Day training. And I've been in the Army for 10 years now, and this is the first time I remember ever doing it. I was shocked. I was I was surprised. I was very happy. Always, you know, a little skeptical because of, you know, who's putting this on? What are they really teaching? The Constitution says things like it's a living document, which... Over the, yeah, imagine over the course of 25 years, instead of going through human mutilation training, Things that are not related to protecting, the, you know, the American public, providing for the common defense, that's a constitutional requirement of the national government to provide for the common defense through its department, right? Well, but instead, all these other things, I think we'd be in a much better position because then we would have a baseline understanding of what our core values are. I don't care where you're coming in from. You come in, you do the... The training, you you take the oath, you learn where the oath's from, right? Title five, section three, 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 one. And then you go beyond that and you actually learn about what the constitutional construct is. Because you're there to your oath is to defend it. So you first have to learn it and know it. And once you learn it and know it, then you can be educated and trained on what the threats are. Foreign, right? Foreign are the threats that are first and foremost, and then as a backstop, domestic. And then you have to figure out what those threats are and then how to train yourself to be better equipped to be able to confront those threats, okay? And because our constitutional system is set up so that the Department of Defense is focused on foreign threats, and then Domestic actors, like, I'm going to be careful on your show how I'm going to frame this because I don't want to get you in trouble. Domestic actors within our Article 2 branch of government, such as our Department of Justice and the subordinate entities therein, as well as the Department of Homeland Security and the entities subordinate to that, focus on our domestic, which they still have yet to define what a domestic threat is so that it can be then countered, right? That's like a legal distinction and nuance, right? But speaking on the Department of Defense role, like you go in, like, okay, if these are the threats that are listed, 
under the constitutional authority as laid out. And then you go down the list, like what is required for me to counter that threat? Okay, maybe I'll learn the language, the culture, and then look at their their ability to threaten our security. And then you go through that from the strategic level, operational planners, then go ahead and provide that ta- the guidance to the tactical level operators to then execute on the, those objectives, right? Ends, ways, means, right? For those that are gone through that that training. However, our leaders, I use that loosely in quotes because our I argue that our our institutions failed us in the last quad electoral process. I want to make sure I'm using constitutional language here and staying away from any of the the hatch act triggering words, right? So absolutely. And so these folks are just blatantly without any reservation with purpose of evasion violating our constitutional principles and norms. And we can go into detail if you want on what those are. Well, yeah, I mean, last night I I watched it. It came out a couple days ago and I encourage everyone to watch it because it was so good. I didn't get to finish it because it was getting kind of late. But Glenn Beck did this like a two-hour special on on just this, people violating the constitutional their constitutional rights. So one of the stories was like Amazon working with the FBI to get this guy. They, they took all of his assets through civil asset forfeiture, everything, his bank accounts, his wife's bank accounts, just so that Amazon could, it, it seemed as if they only did it to Amazon to get out of a $100 million contract they had with this man. Because if he was committed a felony, then that breaks the contract. And Amazon's not on the hook. Actually, you know what? If I may, if I may, Sam, can we go through like I'm going to give examples of constitutional violations that I have I've observed over the last couple of years or so, or maybe six, and then we'll as we go through it, I'm going to match it with the provisions of the Constitution. So we essentially use this class as well, going through the seven articles and the 27 amendments to our Constitution. I'm not going to go through all of them. Yeah, I think it's wonderful because that way we can help teach people like, yeah, you swore to defend, but what, what did you swear to defend? Let's, you know, a constitutional corner, if you will. Yeah, you, exactly. You got to know it to then be able to defend it. If you know what the rules are, and you're like, oh, wait, I saw so-and-so do the same thing. And then you can let me know so that we can expose some light, like right? shine that floodlight, you know, that little magnifying glass on the ant. Kind of line it up. Sunlight is the best disinfectant. Peacefully and patriotically, of course. <laughs> so, Article 1, Section 4. And stop me if you don't want me to talk about these things. No, keep going, please. Okay, Article 1 is just the foundational principles of what the legislative branch... Okay, oh, let me back up. Foundational principles here. The state legislatures went to... The Constitution, as it was written in September 17th, 1787, it was ratified by the ninth of 13 states, making it the three-quarters required vote under the ratification process to our Constitution, where I think yeah, New Hampshire conducted that final vote. It was the state legislatures of 13 states that allowed for the Constitution to be created. Okay? So, if three-quarters of the states legislatures 
decide to amend or publish and nullify that same constitution. So the same authority that created it is the same authority that can nullify it. Okay. It's not the Supreme Court, right? No one else. So Article One, the the legislatures created the Constitution and granted certain rights or ability for a federal government to exist and allowed that federal government to do something. Remember, and what's the federal government that allows the states to do something? It's the states that allow the federal government to exist. States don't want it to exist. They collectively, three quarters, say, you know what? We're pulling back. There's another argument to be made that if three quarters of the state legislatures, if it falls below that, where 25% plus one of the state legislatures, meaning 13 states, if I'm not mistaken, if 13 states legislatures decide, you know what? We don't want the we don't want to be a part of this this thing called the United States. There's scholars out there that have argued that because the seventy five percent or three quarters threshold has been pierced beneath that, then also possibly the federal government is not in existence. And I'm not I'm just peacefully and patriotically advocating legal analysis here, okay, via the First Amendment for the haters out there. Yeah, yeah, so that's it. So there you go. Now, understanding that as a foundational principle, if the states allow the federal government to do something, it's in the Constitution. And then also, if the states allowed in the Constitution certain restrictions on themselves, that's in the Constitution. It's not specifically written as something that the states allowed the federal government to do nor barred themselves from doing specifically in that federal document as the U.S. Constitution, then that means the states themselves have all the power. That's our 10th Amendment. So let's go through it. Seven articles, 27 amendments. Article 1, legislative branch. Section 4, I keenly observed that under Article 1, Section 4, and I, I don't know if you want to bring this stuff up, whatever, I don't know if you can screen share if you want to, but it basically talks about federal elections are to be done time, place, and manner as stipulated by the respective states. The episode has been paused, and some of it has been removed. To hear the entire episode, please go to my Patreon account and subscribe for as little as $1 a month to hear the entire episode. Right, right, exactly. Education, education. So, that's the Fifth Amendment. Let's go into, let's see here, we talked about the first, third, fourth, the Fourth Amendment violation, Carter Page, his Fourth Amendment, unreasonable search and seizure by the Fifth, unlawfully, right? Investigation after investigation, we had different entities and a special counsel. We had another special counsel basically showed that the obtaining of that FISA warrant was done 
I'm going to call it what it is. It was totally Fourth Amendment violation, right? So we have to know and observe and identify that to make sure that those actors that violated it, they feel the First Amendment pressure. They are committing transgressions, wrongs. Fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. Get into that trial stuff. Not tenth. Tenth Amendment. Let's review that. Tenth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tenth Amendment. Done. So with the Tenth Amendment, things that are not in the Constitution, well, what's in the Constitution needs to be looked at this way. If the states allow it for the federal government to do, and it's in the Constitution, it's fine, those authorities. But if it's not in the Constitution and directly not prohibited to the states, those powers and authorities remain in the states. So taking the Tenth Amendment coupled with our Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2, which is the state legislatures are the ones that decide and allocate those electors or president. When those states see, based on the report that was just published two days ago, the Chinese Communist Party's ambassador to the United States is currently squatting in the White House, and anybody appointed subordinate to that person is basically appointed under those auspices and is promulgating policies to the benefit of a foreign threat, now we start to get into a constitutional crisis. And the constitutional crisis can be remedied. And there are three ways to remedy that. There's a 25th Amendment removal, right? But here's the problem. That 25th Amendment removal does not remedy the person that replaces that person because that person that takes over has been selected by the original problem. Okay? Vice President, right? Next, we have that's one method. Another method is called impeachment, right? Impeach in the House, convict in the Senate. That is a method and mechanism, and we, we shall see how that plays out starting January 3rd. I think the third method is the most appropriate under these current circumstances. If you agree with me that the 2020 election was these states conducted their election outside of their election law, which the former failed vice president agrees with that statement, and he's on record saying that, then that triggers that Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 constitutional violation, thus nullifying the electors that were transmitted from the states that actually violated the Constitution. And they now need to call back their electors under that construct, bring them back, oh, I don't know, Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin, Georgia, Pennsylvania, New Hampshire. And then the unicameral, by the way, Nebraska is the only state that has a unicameral body. They're called, I believe, call one of their electors. And that will be more than the 37 electoral votes necessary to correct the record of what happened in 2020. And then that would trigger the 12th Amendment, which provides for a contingent election framework in the U.S. House of Representatives 
what do they vote? One state, one vote for who they would vote for out of the pool of candidates remaining that are not disqualified. And then you will see how that plays out, possibly in January. And then on the U.S. Senate side, you would have a vote for vice president. One person, one vote to then determine who that vice president would be. Unless a succession triggering event. So you have, the, I'll, I'll close with this. The succession triggering event is if you don't have a president and you don't have a vice president, the Speaker of the House becomes president, right? Or a succession. And the president pro tempore becomes the vice president. It'll be interesting to see who the Speaker of the House is about to be and the Senate pro tempore is about to be. So that's really it in the constitutional framework. Knowing and understanding it, you can educate others so that we collectively as a society, we the people and our institutions are within the framework of our constitution. Thank you, Ivan. This has been very educational, very helpful. And I would love to have you back when you have time. Is I'd like to get like a regular spot with you maybe once a month or so. And maybe I can get some questions from my Patreon supporters. Yeah, absolutely. And if I can I put a plug in for like if you want more details on this, I have done Substack articles and I, I trickle out Substack articles. It's just ivanrakeland.substack.com that go into way more detail of what I just talked about with the references and the citations. So you can literally take a look and in fact and law check everything i'm talking about so that you just don't take my word for it right we should never take anyone's word for it we should that's part of that refining fire you know you're, you're held to a high standard because you're always under investigations unfortunately but also you're the people that subscribe to your sub Substack, they hold you to a high standard too because you have to make sure what you're putting out is as accurate as it can be at the time that you published it tell the truth at least don't lie you know we don't always know what what the truth is but we know what the lie is it's the thing that makes us feel weak to motivate others my philosophy in life is there's two options i'm either gonna win or i'm not gonna lose i like it not losing means you just don't stop you just keep going <laughs> right you haven't lost if you haven't stopped exactly well thank you i'd love to to maybe schedule another time with you maybe in a month or so maybe i can put out some feelers for questions that people might want to ask you if, if that's all right yeah absolutely I get those to you beforehand. Yeah, this has been amazing. Because, uh, yeah, I think a constitutional corner where we, we talk about these constitutional issues on a semi-regular basis is is very important. Because what are we defending? What do we what do we swear to? Absolutely. And it, I mean, it brings it into, you know, because a lot of people are like, ah, arcane document, how does it apply to today? But bringing in the rules and then applying it to today's reality, I think that's where people will gain more interest and appreciation it's, it's a brilliant document it's it's phenomenal how it was put together the checks and balances they're there if we just basically collectively abided by it we wouldn't have a lot of these issues that have occurred and all these this foreign impact on our constitutional system wouldn't be happening as it's happening in the last couple of years especially right there's so many people that that think that they, yeah there's so many people that think that the constitution is not good but no it's great we're not following it that's that's what's not good is we're not following the laws as they're written so yeah thank you brother well thank you brother i appreciate it glad to have you on
Just a reminder for everyone out there, in duty uniform of the day, the full armor of God. Let's all make courage more contagious than fear.